Welcome to Why Gifts Matter from the Core Gift Institute, a series of conversations spanning helping professions, spiritual traditions, and community encouragers who believe that knowing your gifts and giving them is an essential part of living a full life and creating healthy communities. Find out more about us at www.coregift.org. Hi, Bruce Anderson from the Core Gift Institute here with another Why Gifts Matter podcast. Today I'm talking with two people that I've known for a fair bit of time, uh, both of them from the Los Angeles area. Mark Reagans is currently a campus uh, psychiatrist for the uh, Cal State College System, but for years, and originally how I got to know him, he was a psychiatrist at a little place called The Village in Long Beach, California, which was established initially as an experimental pilot for different kinds of services and hopefully more successful kinds of services to people carrying the label of mental illness. And Mark and a small cadre of leaders in that organization and all the people providing the services really worked hard to think about what really works discarding stuff that wasn't working and always trying new things. It's to their credit that many organizations in the state of California adapted much of the model that they helped create. He's long been a, a seeker of paradigms, uh, healing paradigms of all kinds, and is an experienced practitioner in many healing models himself. I wanted to connect him with Wendy Carpenter, the second person in this podcast today, who's the uh, Chief Executive Officer of Penny Lane Centers, also in the Los Angeles area. Wendy has worked at Penny Lane for a a few decades now and uh, is the uh, Chief Executive Officer. And I wanted her to be able to talk with Mark because both of them work with uh, younger people and both of them have long histories of trying new things. Uh, Wendy is on a particularly... I think, uh, innovative journey with her organization now. They're trying to create what they're calling a heart-centered culture. And you might ask, well, aren't all foster care agencies heart-centered? When you listen to Wendy describe what they mean by that, you begin to realize it's a much deeper uh, definition and there's much deeper practices around becoming heart-centered, both in the kinds of supports that are offered Uh, to young people and to foster parents, and also in the ways that employees engage with each other. It's really quite an experiment they have going, and they are far enough into it to be invigorated by it and enthusiastic about it. So I wanted to get both of them talking and share their ideas about gifts. Both of them are core gift uh, facilitators and practitioners. They have a deep understanding of the ideas around gifts, both multiculturally and in modern times. So let's get busy and listen to what they have to say. Uh, Good morning, Mark and Wendy. I've been uh, anxious. We talked a month ago for a bit, and I've been anxious to get get you together again and and talk. I want to just briefly say that the original um, inspiration or why I connected the two of you in my mind is that you're both um, uh, working now with people in the what we call the first arc of their life, um, you know, up to 25 or so. And, um, and both of you have a history 
um, that I know of that is pushing the edges of things. Mark, you are, um, although you would be very humble about it, you are the, you know, one of the very early prime instigators of, um, of person-centered work in the mental health movement in California. And then we're a very early adopter of uh, the recovery movement and have spread that message in really innovative ways. And Wendy, you have been in an organization for um, a long time now and continue to figure out how to do new and different things. And I think your most recent uh, path of thinking about how an organization could be heart-centered uh, rather than caring and service-centered is a really um, dangerous um, thought in some ways because it challenges so many of the assumptions about how how work is uh, how work is done with young people. So I don't have an agenda. I thought we could um, just start maybe um, by just taking a moment um, and just uh, closing our eyes and taking a deep breath. And what I want to ask you to do is to uh, tell me the word more than any that comes to your mind when you breathe and are quiet and think of the word gift. What word or phrase comes to mind in response to a focus on that word? So I'll give you uh, 20 seconds or so. So Mark, uh, what, what word comes up for you? And then would you talk about that a little bit? Well, a very strange word popped up to begin with was explosion. Um, that the of, of kind of blowing things apart or being of uh, it kind of creating a, a light, a light of an, of an explosion um, sort of thing, and kind of an opening up. So say a little more about that. Well, well, so I've been reading, I may be in post, I've been reading this book from about a hundred years ago, talking about how in lots of traditional things, there's creation and destruction and continuity, whether it's like Vishnu and Shiva and, and Krishna are going along or there's other ones under groups. And then I was trying to see if am I, I I tend not to admire people who are just destroyers. Although I think destruction is necessary to clear out space. I think you need constructors or something to, to build or some light to build after it or you're just destroying. Although these traditions tend to value the destroyers as much as anything. They don't see that as an evil force at all, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and so that may have influenced why this is what, what popped to my head. Although I like to think that I break things down, but I also like to then create or put things together. But I think if we stay too thoroughly in our boxes without thinking about how to break them, it's very difficult to go to go forward. So that's well, how, probably how are gifts how are how do, how do gifts break and how are they explosive? Well, my 
my my my current thought on that is that it's that difference between talents and gifts that if you're going along and you're just building whatever your talent is you're building whatever your skill is you're learning by rote you're learning by muscle memory you're learning by modeling after someone else you're you're pounding you're, you're building something on 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 for yourself and lots and lots of good stuff happens like that but then gifts i think is a different level of getting involved with your heart and your emotions and part of your body and not just your thoughts and especially not just your muscle memory or your your rote or instinctual memory or how you, you're putting things um, together. And I think then when, when you say things like that gifts make the conversation start at a deeper level or gifts connect to wounds or your emotions or gifts have to be given, it isn't just let's think of a a theory or let's make pies for ourselves. It has to actually be given to someone else. Um, that that's, that's exploding the rote part of it. The, the, the rigid of how it's set up. So for instance, in education, we for the longest time had, let's educate by just learning a bunch of facts of one thing or another. And that became kind of obsolete way back in I'd say the twenties or thirties or something. But it took another almost 100 years for education to do things about learning how to learn instead of learning information. And to get there, they had to break off the importance of let's have tests about how to learn, how, what, how many facts you learned about something. Let's have some other way of looking at things. And I think in the same way, when we're, we're looking at this giant mental health crisis of young people, we're looking at how to, we're trying to put this into very old boxes in very intellectualized boxes. So it must be an increase in certain illnesses and let's diagnose them and let's figure out how much depression, anxiety, and how many symptoms they have and what, what treatment do they need for these various sim symptoms. And we're not at all breaking that up to say, I wonder what's going on with our hearts. I wonder what's happening underneath and what the emotions is and how we can, not that nobody is doing that, but that it's moving on to saying, Maybe this is a time that needs to transform like the education transform from rote to how to think, to how to classify mental distress or even move from people who don't believe in mental illness at all to how to experience each other's emotions, how to, how to connect that this may be a question that at, at this point in our culture, we need to have higher levels of emotional interactions and emotional connections. And to do that, we need to start devaluing a bunch of the time we're spending on just intellectual or understanding uh, things or, or wrote labeling of things. Mm. Wendy, what word came up for you? <laughs> uh, the word that came up for me was blanket. And I'm not exactly sure why, but if I think about how I feel about a blanket, it's similar to how I feel about gifts and, you know, kind of dovetails and what, what Mark was saying. Um, you know, a blanket for me is something that you, you, you wrap yourself around in when you're cold and you need warmth, you need protection. Um, I, I tend to, if I get sad or depressed, you know, I want to go to my bed. My bed is my safe place the happiest place that I know sometimes. And, you know, that, that's, what, that's what my gift does for me. When I am feeling lost or not sure what to do and I need to self-soothe or comfort myself, 
the first thing I do, I know to do is to give my gift. And the minute I do that, um, all of a sudden I feel very warm and contained inside of me. Um, and then, you know, talking about, you know, where Mark was going about gifts and the giving of the gifts, you know, the other thing that, that brings to mind for blankets is uh, last year, um, and, and we all know that the homeless crisis is just, just huge and sometimes beyond even knowing what to do, but our, our young people who live in our transitional housing, who, you know, are one step away from being homeless, and many of them have been homeless, um, on one of our coldest nights in LA, um, came up with the idea of just handing out blankets and just going to um, the freeway sides and just started handing out blankets. Such a simple gesture of kindness and compassion and coming from a place of they understanding what it felt like to be out in the night and be cold. And you know, it's, it's to Mark's point, just giving the gift help somebody else, but it really does something pretty incredible for ourselves. And the other thing I would just say about blankets is, you know, they can be soft, <laughs> they can be rough. It can be a lot of different materials, a lot of different textures. And, um, you know, the more I get into my gift, the more I understand my gift and my wound attached to it, the more layers I uncover. Sometimes they're scratchy. Sometimes they're, 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 they're like down and very, very soft. One of the things that uh, strikes me is, you know, Wendy, your organization is, is working with um, so many young people who have experienced so much trauma in their lives and are uh, struggling, often struggling in school and keeping relationships going and um, a large percentage of, of young people who are, who are just um, directionless might be wandering, might be an accurate term. And Mark, you're in a completely different environment of, um, you know, of, of young people in college, um, you know, active, doing things, trying to get a college degree, moving forward. Um, and yet both of you talk about this general malaise of directionlessness. I was astounded, Mark, at listening to you the first time I heard you talking about the number of students who, who will come into your uh, office, um, you know, talking about being anxious. And the more you talk to them, the more it's about really being kind of directionless. So is there a general problem or issue with directionlessness in young people in that age group of, you know, 17 to 25? What have you noticed about that? I guess I'd put that into a kind of bigger context that this wasn't a problem until maybe 50 years ago or something and, and only a handful of countries because your direction was to do whatever your parents did. You didn't have to choose a direction. You had whatever job they had, married who they put out, whatever religion they had. You stayed living where your home is, whatever political party they were. You didn't have to, whatever sexual gender orientation your body looked like. You didn't have to do any of these things. Um, and you could argue that's a very repressive way, but it's also very direct directive. You don't have to think, you don't have to feel. You can just do this by following, by rote and modeling what, what's going on. Our current way says, you're supposed to find what's in your heart. 
What's your passion? What'll make your life complete? What's your talents? What's your gifts? Be able to drive forwards. You have to self-motivate and then you can be whatever you want to be. You can overcome anything and be whatever you want to be. And that puts an enormous amount of pressure compared to just copy whatever your family is doing. To find these things inside yourself. How good are you at checking in with yourself of looking at these levels of seeing things? Because the more meaning these directions are going to have, the deeper they're going to go. If it's just, oh, I was good at, at math, so I decided to accounting. That's not going to be nearly as deep as I was, my whole family had lots of sexual molestation and trauma and the whole thing. And I'm in criminology to see if I can make it so that our justice system responds to children and women like this that they're not responding to now. And even that may not, even that is kind of a conflict-oriented one. There may be one even deeper mm -hmm. for, for that. And so I think we don't do very much in helping people. The people get lost, and then they say they have no attention because they can't engage. That people have, get lost at, I can't find my interests or passion, and they feel like they're missing something because they can't do that. And they're not very good at going through these various levels and, and deepening things. And frankly, neither are their parents or the generations before. This is not something that's carried on generationally with us, but it's a demand of this new find your own destiny way of looking at things. Hmm. Well, that must be really hard for many of the young people that your organization is supporting, Wendy, to, to, to have the double whammy of, of, of not having a stable family system to grow up in and then being asked to go out and be their unique selves. It just sounds like such an, such a, an onerous task. And then to, to not get really meaningful help for doing that other than, you know, get a job, go to college, stay on probation, um, follow the rules. Yeah. It's, it's not only hard for the young people, it's hard for the adults. Right. And I'm, and I'm, again, struck again by what what Mark said. Look, I I came to this job, you know, saying I wanted to help people. But what I became very good at was compliance. I mean, I could, you know, I could outsmart any audit. You know, we got the reputation of being, you know, the best agency because we got 100 percent on the audit. It was the same thing we were doing with our young people. You know, we were telling them, you know, if you graduate from high school and, you know, you go get a job and you go to therapy every day, you're, you're going to be perfect. You're going to be happy. And that's not the truth. I, I was going through the motions. You know, we, we take our kids through the motions of this, you know, what society, the community, whoever is saying that's, that's the American dream, right? That, that's how you get to where we say you can in America, freedom, happiness, all these things. You know, and, and again, it, it wasn't until my life started to kind of fall apart that I realized, you know, compliance, you know, being the good girl, following the rules was my core wound. You know, that, that's how I got out of a very difficult childhood was that I, I made order out of chaos. And here I was carrying that forward in my organization. And, um, you know, it was, it was part of understanding my gift of, you know, what, what it is I do that is beyond that skill of making order out of chaos. And that's when the heart opens. That, that's when, that's, you know, exactly what Mark's talking about when we're willing to really explore 
boy, sometimes that darkness, sometimes that, that really scary piece. And so at least the way I see it, our organization is you got to start with the adults. The adults are not clear about why you're here and, and, and what you're doing and what's the motivation behind that and how you are um, taking what you call your calling to play it forward, to help others. Then we have no business trying to tell our young people how to do anything. Uh, so what's magical is when you can have um, a staff member who has gone through the gift process and has really gotten in touch with the gift and the core wound, and then to facilitate that with a young person. That's where the magic happens. That's where that's when the heart truly opens. So that's that old, you know, that old classic therapist saying you can't take anybody further than you've been yourself. Yeah. I don't know if I agree, actually. I think... Because I think about instead of as a therapist relationship, a mentoring relationship and mentoring, the emotional part of it is that the, the older person sees something in themselves that, that reminds them of themselves when they were younger and the younger person. They want to save them some of the, the, the uh, suffering and stuff and help them in a way that they weren't helped themselves. And lots of people are motivated to go into helping fields like this. And the young person sees something in the older person that they admire and would like to be someday or bring out themselves. I wish I could find that part of myself to, to grow into. And I think if the process is good, it actually changes both people. The process doesn't have to be finished in the mentor to help the, the young person. If anything, you'd hope that the young person would keep pushing the older person into more and more levels. And most really good movies, for instance, about mentors and mentees, seems like Robin Williams is in half of them, or about, or about the younger person <laughs> on um, pushing the, the older one to find further levels or their, their youthful passions inside of them, what they, they were meant that the, 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 the I think giving a gift goes, goes, goes both ways. In a, in a much more frivolous content, context, there's a line at the end of, uh, pretty woman where Richard Gere says all right now the the prince has come up and 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 rescued the damsel in distress so what it, what happens now and she says she returns the favor and, re and rescues him but Wendy isn't that what you're saying is that the the older person has to have that awareness and have have a desire to understand a calling um and and then they can work with a young person who who may or may not have that same desire yet but it can't just go both ways it's a it's a it's not mentoring if it if the old person picks a young person and just pummels them with ideas for how they can be different it's it has to be reciprocal yeah i have a little problem with the old person comment but yes um, <laughs> what you <laughs> i i think you know i, I... <laughs> I think, you know, it goes, it goes back to that, that whole premise, Bruce, about the positional authority, right? You know, you got to do this because I'm, I'm the person in the, um, in the role of knowing it all and I've been there and that kind of a thing. And it, and it really translates back into that genuine authority. And, you know, at least for me, I, you know, I, I agree with Mark. I, the biggest lessons I have learned are from the youth that I have worked with. Not a, not a doubt in my mind. If I could summons half amount of rage that they have, and you know, Mark talks about blowing things up. I mean, those are our kids. 
you know, I wish I could harness some of that energy. Um, yeah, and, and then just the resilience of what they've been through. I mean, who am I to complain about having to get up on a, you know, a Monday morning because I don't, you know, I don't, I feel a little, you know, like I want to stay in bed. No, these kids get up no matter what and keep going. So, so yeah, it, it, it goes both ways. They're healers to me. I mean, they, they've done more healing for me than, than any of my therapists, honestly. So if there's a pause, um, let me ask you a, a, a different question. So what do, uh, what do gifts have to do with spirituality? Mark? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I of course have very elaborate schemas for everything. So I was talking before about kind of a one about you just do things by rote or by modeling. Then you do things by intellectually or thinking them through and rationally and discovering and developing things. Then you do things emotionally through your heart. And then you do things spiritually by connecting to the oneness of the universe or beyond it. And I'd, so I would say that for many, peop- many people, gifts are going to be the easiest route or one of the most common routes for going beyond thinking to their heart and having glimpses of spirituality um, ab- above that. But that and especially, I'd mentioned before about like people have a gift about, well, I want to give back in, to something that I didn't get, it kind of gift wound pair. I think that's on the emotional basis. And I think if you can get that one going well, you can actually even look below that one. And that there may be, a, or, or above that one, I mean, how you look at things. And there may be actually, when that's cleared, a more universal kind of gift thing. And that goes into really different spiritual areas, depending on who's doing it. Some people end up like Jung with the collective unconscious. Some people end up with spiritual oneness connected with Christ. Um, some people end up with this state of emptiness. Um, uh, and I think all this is about breaking down more and more our own ba- our own boundaries. But to get to you, back to your question a bit, I think really trying to find your gifts is a process of trying to get past the rigidities of whatever level you're at. Does it always have to be the way it's always has been? Does it always have to be logical? Does it always have to be driven by wounds or heart driven? If you keep breaking those and keep going further, that's what we mean by spirituality is when you become open and connected with, with every, with everything beyond that. And that's, I think that's a huge process. So are, are, is, are you saying in that, that my awareness of my primary gifts is a, is a, is a pathway for me to get in touch with that oneness that, that different, you know, traditions talk about in so many ways? Yeah, because your gift gets you out of yourself. It gets you out of your own. It, it's, it, it builds that connectedness. So at least you're out of yourself, and now you're connected to others. And if mm. that's a, a step on the path toward universalizing it further. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> that's, you know, that's my, my premise. And there are some other, I mean, I go around reading a lot of books about some of these other people who've taken 
pastor described it kind of like that. There are people, though, who would say that this is entirely misleading, that this idea of gifts and connected wounds is still very connected to our own selves, our own person, our own ego, our own emotions, and that you really have to be, that's just more distractions. Um, talk about a, a lesson from a, from a client, once this man who, he had very severe schizophrenia, was homeless, and I used to call my spiritual guide, because he would sit and he was, he was writing a book about the connection of quantum mechanics and early Christian something that I couldn't understand a word of what he was talking about. But he, he saw it one day after I went on a, a retreat and I was trying to grow spiritually. He says, I think you're making some good progress, but watch out. There's angels at these levels that try to get you involved in doing all kinds of good projects, helping other people and distracting you from your personal growth. Like, mm-hmm. that's a very bizarre piece of advice I've never heard from anybody. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. But so, so I think there's people who would say that focusing on gifts and building that is still not letting go of yourself in the way you would have to, to achieve that oneness. Good. Well, could it be that it's, could it be that, it, that, it, that, it, that, it, that it's, that it's, that it's both. I'm only saying that because there is, you know, I've been through many periods in, my life that I would describe as primarily thinking and feeling that are about healing through uh, my wounds um, that, that make me more aware of this, uh, of the strengths of my gifts. But there are also times when I am um, awake in a way that I'm usually not awake during the day. And I'm in this process of giving what I think are my primary gifts and the only way I can describe it is that I say things and I do things that, that feel more like they come through me rather than from me. That there's some larger sense of not who I am, but my connectedness with everything. And then those moments are not thinking and feeling moments. They're something entirely different. So I wonder if it can be both and if that both are useful. Actually, I love the description it was given. I think, I think that gift wound one is going to be more on the thinking and feeling level one that we we tend to find, and it feels good to find that coherence in things. But I think that business of it coming through you, I think that used to be way more common. I mean, someone like Milton writing Paradise Lost spends the first I don't know how many pages talking about his various muses and how to open up to them coming through or getting these inspirations for things. And we still don't, we, we, we still don't understand inspiration very well. A various things that say things coming through you. I spent a fair bit of time learning how to do uh, Reiki healing and doing up to master level. And one of the interesting things of that as a form of healing is it doesn't think the healing comes out of you, even though you're putting your hands on somebody. Um, and the, it thinks that your the whole healing energy of the universe is coming through you and you're being healed while you're passing it along. And as a result, you don't get burned out or drained by healing or taking someone's negatives. You don't have to worry about this stuff very much. You don't have to worry about thinking through which position am I using or which other chakras am I fixing or something like this. You can just say, I want to open myself up to be a channel and the healing energy of the universe will come through and will go where it needs to do. It has its own wisdom. I don't need to be guiding or be taking so much control of what's going over which of course has echoes of 12 step of letting go of, of control. Just be open to what my 
uh, what the universe is, is telling me, and then I'll be then I'll be doing a couple of things. Mm-hmm. My own personal way of trying to connect those two is that it isn't a question of my will against my fate or fighting against them or railing against my own fate or being the master of my own fate. It's a question of getting my will in alignment with my fate so that what I'm trying to do is what I'm meant to do. Mm. Mm. What are you thinking, Wendy? Well, I saw a a really good um, quote uh, that said that religion is following somebody else's path and spirituality is following your own path. And that to me is very much about what gifts are. And, you know, all, all I know is when I was going through one of the darkest periods of my life, you may want to call it a dark night of the soul. I, I don't know. I, I wasn't sure I wanted to go on. And it kind of came out of nowhere for me. That going through the, the gift process, going on the pilgrimage, grounded me in a way that it, it felt so deep that it had to come from somewhere else. Um, I was in nature, I was with 11 strangers, and I was looking inside myself for things that um, I had been looking outward for. And, you know, Mark says about um, alignment, and and I, I remember that feeling of realizing God's will and my will are converging, and I'm aligned. And um, I don't know what else to call that. That that is being connected with source. That is being um, that is being divinely guided. And I, I think the gift gives it's almost a permission to be able to go back to what you already know, and that is your soul, right? You you know your soul when you speak your truth, when you, when you do things that um, are, are kind for no reason, when you um, help a stranger, you just know in your soul that that is right. And it's a feeling. Um, so I don't know that you could ever take gifts and spirituality and try to, to split those apart. Uh, and I think gifts are a way, a safe way of people to really explore spirituality it's more tangible than god so mark are you able to you know i know you see a lot of um you know there's many more people who want to see you than you can see on the college campus you know it's the old caseload dilemma of of uh, of helpers of all kinds I'm wondering if you have ways, given the short time that you can spend with a student, have you come up with some ways that seem to work fairly well for you to help a young person get grounded more in the purpose of their life rather than just being successful in college? A couple of things that occurred to me while you were, as the question went on. One is that the, I think it's really important not to get to the point where you're trying to push things, people away and be self-protective in order to 
to who am I going to say no to and stuff, or you, then you're not even welcoming the next person that I've tried in most jobs to be opening up. Or yes, I'll see whoever it is. I'll try to make it work. And that then hope that it does actually work out. Um, that's a little naive because then sometimes you can get overwhelmed or stay really late or something. I do like how campus schedules have their own waves up, up and down that when the semester ends, it clears out and you can start over again. Um, the, the strategy you mentioned there is the main one I take that says, I try to see lots of people, but not for very long, for only a few sessions each, a few months each. And the, and the idea is to get you to be able to use people out in the community. The main strategy I'm about is helping you get an understanding or a formulation of Actually, what I tell people at the beginning is, I know we live in an era where we talk about diagnosis and DSM and pills and illnesses and chemical imbalances, but I tend to take a far more developmental approach that you're born with whoever you are, with your skills and talents and your personality and stuff. And also you're born with, strangely enough, a blueprint for your ongoing development and growth. Comes with the factory packaging. I suppose to go. And then life happens. Sometimes cool things happen that open up and, and really nurture you and fertilize your growth. Sometimes things happen that are traumatic and chop off parts of you. Sometimes things happen to get you stuck. And the reason I'm seeing you is likely because you've gotten stuck. And this, to try about why you've gotten stuck, how life is combined with who you are to get you stuck and to get you to a spot, whether it's through meds or therapy or changing something in your life so that you can go on to your growth to be the person you were meant to be. And I'll grow this. What you can see is really, I say it's possible there's some biological thing that is why you're stuck, but that's not very common actually. The stories usually make sense without resorting to that if you keep the if you keep going digging deep and deep and deep and deep, keeping looking at them. So then I spend the whole time trying to develop that story of who are you? What's the little kid inside of you? What were you meant to be? How did this get distorted along the way? How do you get and this current stuckness? Whether it's I have no motivation anymore, I'm anxious all the time, I've I am depressed, I can't get out of bed, because in general they're not functioning as students and doing poorly emotionally. The two things they're with me because the whole thing flung, they're going to flunk out. They're not going to they're not going to make it anyway. They're they're entirely stuck. And how can we find who you were meant to be, and what the obstacles are? And it's rare for them to actually know either of those two things up front. For them to know how they got stuck like this, to say, "Oh, wow, I didn't put it to, I didn't put it together." Especially if it's something a long time ago. I was working with a girl last week who it turned. She was trying to figure out why she's always anticipating dread and things going bad and it's going to and getting all these negative things. And I couldn't really figure out much going on. And of course, she had a whole family history of lots of people in her family that anticipate dread and are negative. And then I'm asking just a depression checklist and I got to, how's your sleep? And when I get to sleep, I always ask how your dreams are. And then I ask, so how old are you in your dreams? Are you your current age or some younger age or, or when you dream? And are you in the first person or third person watching yourself? And if they say some younger age, let's go back because that's likely where they're stuck. And this person wasn't nightmares, was having positive dreams of flying around or jumping out of four-story windows when she was a little kid and being landing safely in their apartment building and, and things and being safe, flying around with a sense of freedom. What the hell is that? What the hell is that? Is she grew up in an incredible <laughs> and that that it's it's kind of this 
curiosity. I don't know where we're going either. Let's <laughs> explore together. Until we find, I don't know the answer we had out, and everyone's going to be an individual journey. And it turned out she grew up in an incredibly violent place when she was little. And where she was, she couldn't go outside or parks or anything. It was kidnappings or explosions. It was a revolution things going on. She was told, watch out where you walk because it might let set off a bomb and you'd explode when she's like three and four years. And she had forgotten all this. And she, I said, do you think anything about now why you're afraid of everything is going to die is because you had that for the first four years of your life or five years of your life and you desire just to be free and fly away from all of this is the only solution you've come up with. And you're trying, still trying to fly away from that. And she said, well, I said, well, that's really impressive. I didn't, that really makes a lot of sense. You get this click thing to do the thing. So I try to give them that sense, that sense of what, how you got there. And what were you meant to be? You're meant to be, you know, what was it? What, if that girl could fly off, where was she flying to? What was she doing? It's not just about what went wrong. It's where was you meant to be? And sometimes like the social work type, Someone will say, there's someone the other day who said, I used to be trying to be a counselor to help young girls or something or other. But then when I got a little better, which went through like her early 20s, and this process now takes to about age 30 in our current society, that our, she said when she got there, she went back to her first love, which is music, and she's going to be a high school chorus teacher instead. And I said, that's probably good that you're not, you're not all in your womb thing. You actually went to a, a gift that was even before that one, what you were really meant to do as something to this music before it got all your energy got into this conflict sphere. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder about, I've seen it in uh, foster care organizations like yours, Wendy, and, uh, you know, mental health organizations like you've worked in, Mark, that in, you know, the, the, there was an there was an advent, you know, in the last I don't know, it, it, it cropped up at, in different phases in different organizations, but there has been a um, um, kind of an exponential growth in the hiring of people who have experienced some of the similar stories of the people an organization is serving. So foster care youth are hired as advocates and case managers and people who are experiencing, have experiences, psychiatric disturbance will get hired as a, you know, mental health counselor. And I, I love the advocacy part of that and the sharing similar stories, you know, in some ways it's, it's similar to an AA model, but I really worry that that gets people off the path they're meant to be on that there's this temporary draw to helping other people through a crisis because they've experienced something similar. But I find myself hoping that that's a temporary thing with most people and they get on with the business of being who they're meant to be. And then I think, well, maybe that's who they're meant to be. I just noticed that, I, that I, um, I'm worried about that. I'm worried about that. I have that same worry and I think we're likely to have be a little blind to that because we're mental health professionals. And so we think, oh good, you came up with a good profession to do. We don't, we, we don't, uh, so I try to start a little devil's advocate on the other side. So let me understand, you've, you've joined the most popular major in our school here of psychology, even though there are no reasonably paid jobs with a bachelor's degree in psychology, which they're gonna tell you in your junior class in the 
301 class about how things go. <laughs> but, um, is this really, so are you there because this is the old liberal arts education, about half of all people I think it's the college for liberal arts education to become a better person thinking and growing. They say it could be a, a phase towards something else. Or are, is, are you trying to become a, a counselor and this is actually a, a profession for you? Exploring your own emotions and who you share stories with and connecting and trying to help other people can be a way of freeing so then you become a musician or an artist or a politician, yeah. whatever it happens to be. There's lots of ex-mental health people are doing all kinds of things. Yeah, and you know, and I don't want to diminish the the um, the importance of you know people getting a job and being able to pay rent and buy food um, um, as part of their part of their own healing and recovery process. I just I just noticed that in some people, I just get this sense this is not uh, this is a, I'm hoping this is a temporary thing for you. So. There's a big difference. Some people think you should, your job should be the expression of your gifts and your emotions and your strengths. And some people think, and like my youngest son says, no, no, no. Your job is a way to get money so that you have the freedom to do other things you want that are separated off from the slavery of the uh, monetary economy. For better, so you can be part of the gift economy, for instance that you, your job isn't necessarily where you express your gifts. It's where you get money so you can express your gifts elsewhere. But the idea, the, you know, one of the foundational multicultural ideas is about gifts is you give your gifts in all parts of your life. So this idea that you, you only give a gift in a certain part of your life and the rest of your life, um, you're doing something else to enable you to give your gift is, is a brand new idea in the world that comes out of cash economies. You know, retirement comes out of cash economies. Um, it's really interesting. That's very, very new. That idea is less than, you know, 100 years old in the world. That you have the seed gift and, and the different ways you give it in all parts of your life um, are, are different practices then. So I might give my gift in a different way to my, um, to my spouse than I do at my job to I do to give to Wendy when I'm talking to her. Um, and that's what, that's what makes your gift grow is all these different practices you have for giving it in all different parts of your life. And then they begin to weave themselves together and create a wisdom base that makes your gift stronger. That's a compelling line of thought. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, Mark, that, that should resonate with you. That's alignment. I mean, that's full alignment, you know? <laughs> Well, it does go with that, 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 that same son's argument that says the, uh, the capitalist economy is what's to blame for everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that. Although, it's, although it is tempting in this day and age. It is tempting. Well, you know, 45 minutes has gone really fast here. We're, 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 getting, we're getting near the end, touched on kind of four or five uh, major, major themes. Um, I guess um, I want to wrap. I want to wrap this up by asking both of you: um, How would you respond to someone who says this idea of gifts is just not even worth my time? Apparently, if you have time to think about gifts, you don't get what a dire situation 
is happening in the world right now, or you don't understand uh, my life. I've got, you know, three part-time jobs and I'm a single parent and uh, we don't really have time for gifts right now. Uh, you know, I would say your time is coming, my friend. Um, you know, you can, you can coast um, on that for as long as you need to, but there will come a time when um, you will be looking for answers and, um, and you will have no choice but to um, try to figure out why you're here and what you have to offer the world. I think people need to be in the right frame of mind. I think trying to force gifts is not in the spirit of gifts. And um, I truly believe if you leave the space, people will come back. I, I respond kind of similarly that, although I don't know if it's inevitable people will move, that there's some issues in life that you can't solve just by um, doing things well and earning money and doing your three jobs and, and stuff. And that Maslow's hierarchy isn't necessarily right. Um, people don't end up focusing on just one or another starting with, I gotta get my food and stuff. I saw lots of kids on the street who were way more concerned with spiritual things and then where the next meal was gonna come from or belonging items than, than practical items that you try to use whatever tools matches whatever your current con whatever your current conflict is or your current distress is. Um, but so whether it's I need to learn, I need to get some more skills to get a job to get some more money to get out of poverty. I need to be able to think things through so I make better decisions. I need to be more heart, heart open so I don't drive away the people that I care about and I can have a long lasting relationship and raise kids and not abandon them like my parents did to me. Or I need to be closer to God that I've lost my faith along the way and, and feeling empty and unsettled as a result. But it may not be all that clear to you why you're distressed, which level is your distress is on. You may be interpreting in the wrong place. You may think this has to do because you're too poor and has to do because you're disconnected. Or you may think this has to do with God and has to do with your emotions or things that I think that's one of the things we can offer people is help go through these levels with you and figure out, you know, where is this? And gift is very powerful, especially in the, in the central levels and the ones about thinking and feeling. Um, and then which can build the openness for the, the spirituality. Mm. Wow. Thanks to thanks to thanks to both of you. We started off, uh, Mark. You had the word explosion, and Wendy, you had the word blanket. And I'm I'm hoping that um, people listening to this podcast will be able to experience a little bit of both of those as they uh, listen to this 45 minutes. So thanks thanks so much for being willing to get on here and talk. I really appreciate it. See you later. Thank you, Bruce. Bye, Mark. Pleasure as always. Take care, Wendy. Take care, Bruce. Thank you for listening. To hear more podcasts, explore our gift library, or learn about our training opportunities, visit us at www.coregift.org.